Hey, as we begin, let's uh, bow our heads and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, today we're worshiping you and we continue to worship you um, in the word. May you speak to our hearts. May you uh, change our perspective and make us gaze in a place where you'd like us to, to gaze. In Jesus' name, amen. So at Christmas time, uh, we focus on one thing and one thing only. It's the first advent, the first coming of Jesus where God becomes man and he comes to earth and becomes uh, one of us. He's a baby and he's born and we think about it and we do Christmas carols and we, we think about uh, Christmas trees and think about presents and we think about shepherds and wise men and we think about the stable and the, the cows looking over the would-be savior of the world. And it's cool that we think about that. But I wonder if sometimes... We look at the first advent because we're not sure that the second advent will really happen. Um, I think sometimes we would rather look backwards towards the manger scene than think forwards to when Jesus might come. Uh, Forever, we've always been thinking, Jesus is going to come soon. In fact, I would ask that question, do you believe Jesus is coming soon? I I can't tell you how many generations before us have said, we're the last generation and Jesus will come. And he didn't. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in Bible studies around my desk or in someone's home and we we talk through the second coming of Jesus and we talk about the signs of the end and we talk about, oh, pestilences and earthquakes and and wars and rumors of wars and and all the the stars have fallen and all the signs have happened and, and the people, they say, well, Pastor Matt, well, if they've all happened, then why hasn't Jesus come yet? And, and I, I say, well, let me give you some hope because all of those things have to co- happen before he comes, so that must mean that he's coming very, very soon. But yet, we still are left with the reality that he hasn't come yet, and so we look backwards and we focus on his first advent and not focus on his second advent. But do you believe it? Man, y'all are a good church. Maybe the question we really should be asking ourselves this morning is where are we looking Where is our gaze? Do we look backwards to the first advent of Jesus as a baby born in a manger? Or are we faithfully eyes to the skies waiting for it to split open to see Jesus coming soon? I mean, with everything in our world that's trying to grasp for our attention and our view, whether it's media or if it's just busyness of life, it's hard to set your eyes on the skies and look for Jesus coming. It really is. And yet today in the passage that we look through, I believe that we're going to be pushed and challenged just a little bit to be more eyes to the skies as we look at the second advent. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, Cantabla, y'all had to sit through this once already. Could you preach the sermon yet? Izzy, you, you want to join me up here? You're good. Okay. All right. First Kings chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you. It's uh, the blue book, and it's on page 254 where you can follow along. It's the same version I'm reading. I'll give you some context of this story before we get there. Elijah, he's the prophet of God. He has given his entire life to pulling God's people towards the, the God of heaven. But the people have fallen away. They've dropped their gaze and they aren't looking at God anymore. Instead, they look at idols, Baal and Asherah. They've fallen away from God. And because of their disobedience, God has plugged up the clouds. There's no rain. It's a drought like never before. There's no water to drink. People are thirsty. Animals are dying. Crops are dead. And it's miserable. And it comes to a point in time where Elijah says, it's time for a showdown. And so he invites the 450 prophets of Baal. Y'all, that's a lot of people. I mean, probably in here right now, we might have, 
uh, we might have 450, 500 people right now. Can you imagine that many people against one dude, Elijah? I mean, that's crazy. He invites them up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he, he sets the ground rules. He says, all right, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to have two groups, two altars, two, two groups of people praying. The, the one's praying to a God of heaven. The other is praying to whoever they want to pray. And the God that answers with fire, we will follow him. Deal? Everybody says, okay, no problem. So Elijah says, go ahead, you guys go first. So they build their altar, and they begin to dance and sing and pray around this altar. Hours pass. Elijah's tired of it. He says, all right, guys, it's noon. Y'all, y'all have no action from your God. Is he asleep? Is he, is he bored? Is he, is he on vacation? Is he deaf? Can he not hear you? They continue on. They start cutting them, their bodies because they want to show the devotion of, of, that they have to this God that isn't a God. Finally, after it's been forever, he just says, all right, enough is enough. And so it's his turn. And he builds this stone altar and he puts wood on top of it and he puts a bull on top of it. And then he calls for water. And I've always wondered in this passage, where did the water come from? I don't know. It's a drought. They pour water all over the top of this altar. He calls for it a second time. They pour more water over. He calls for it a third time and they, they soak this thing. And finally, Elijah has prays a simple prayer that says, God of heaven, the God who always keeps his promises, the God who is more real than you can even imagine, answer our prayer with fire. Fire comes flashing down. Sorry if I woke you up there. <laughs> fire comes blazing down. It burns up the bull. It burns up the wood. It burns up the stones. It even burns up the water that was around the altar. And all the people together in unison said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But it's the next part of this story that I really want to focus on today. And you can read it with me in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Here's what it says. 1 Kings 18, chapter 18, verse 41. And Elijah said to King Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. And I pause there for a minute to think about what's happening. Elijah says there's the sound of heavy rain. Now I think it's funny sometimes that our senses get con con connected and confused. And Elijah says, I can hear the sound of heavy rain. You know how your senses are connected. You know how when you uh, smell or you, you, know, you can taste, all, all that's connected. I, mean, I know this very well back in last year around Christmas time when I got COVID. Uh, didn't, wouldn't, was feeling fine, no issues. Saturday night, sitting there at the table. I think I was putting a puzzle together and I started to get hungry and I said, hey, hey Jen, what are we eating for supper? And she says, oh, I just made a pizza. And I said, you're, you're making pizza or you just made a pizza? And she said, I just made a pizza, it's right here. And I'm thinking, I can't smell that. So we sliced the pizza and I think, well, can I taste it too? And I put it in my mouth and I, I chew it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think I can taste this. The next morning, we're eating waffles. We always eat Mimi waffles on Sunday morning. And we put uh, syrup on there, jelly. Oh, it's the sweetest stuff you've ever had. And I bite into this and I think this is the boring, most blandest waffle I've ever tasted. And then it hits me. The night before when I ate that piece of pizza, it was the sensation of heat, not taste that I was feeling. And I'd lost both taste and smell. Isn't it funny how senses are connected? And Elijah says, 
I can hear the sound of heavy rain. I can hear it. I know it's coming because I can hear it. He looks into the future and he says, I, can, I know it's coming, I believe it's coming. It's like, he can, he can, I can hear it coming. I know it's gonna be there. He can hear it before he sees it. It's kind of like a train. When I was a junior or senior in, at Georgia Cumberland Academy up in Calhoun, Georgia, we loved to go to the train trestle. It's off campus, so you can't just go there by yourself. You have to go with some of the faculty. And so we always would, would ask the chaplain if he would take us to the train trestle. And so it looks kind of like this. Here's a picture of one very, very similar. The, the train trestle goes right over the Ustanala River right there in Calhoun, Georgia. And uh, it's got these steel sides. And on the, on the far side, there's a little walkway, a little bridge that you can kind of walk on. It'd be midnight on Friday night, and we'd sneak out of the dorm even though we were with faculty. It just made it more exciting, you know? And we'd walk the little ways to the train tracks, and we'd walk down the tracks all the way to this train trestle. And, and we'd get there, and we were just waiting for the train. You know it's going to come, but you've got to wait for it. And we'd sit there, and we'd talk, and we'd, we'd pray. And, you know, train tracks always have rocks on them, and so we'd chuck some of the rocks down into the river down below. And after a while, you could hear it coming. Guys, guys, the train's coming. You could hear it. Wait a little bit longer, a little louder. Woo, woo. Guys, it's coming. We can hear it. You look down the tracks, you can't see it, but you can hear it. You know it's coming. You know it's going to be there. Everybody's getting excited, getting in their positions. Keep looking down the tracks. Woo, woo. It's going across another one of those road crossings. It's moving along. Pretty soon you can look down the tracks and you see three lights. One's the headlight and, and two are the side lights that keep flashing to let you know it's coming. You can see it, it's coming. Now you can hear it and you can see it. Pretty soon you can feel it because that wind in front of this locomotive just pushes out in front of you. And we'd stand right there on the side on that little walk, walkway, the little bridge, and the wind would just be a percussion to your body as this locomotive goes barreling by. You could hear it before you see it. For your whole life, you've heard that Jesus is coming. Do you believe it? You haven't seen it yet, yet our whole lives, all of us, have always heard that Jesus is coming soon. Do you have the faith like Elijah that trusts, that says, I can, I can hear it, I, can, I believe it, I can almost see it. I believe it before I can see it. And as the story goes on, Elijah begins to talk about seeing what he's hearing. You can, you can read it in verse 42. Here's what happens. Verse 42, so King Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah, he climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. Are you seeing this picture? You have the prophet of God. He's up on top of the mountain. He just says it's the greatest showdown of his life. I think Elijah was an introvert, and he's just been just this intense eight, ten hours with people, and he wants to be alone. He goes back up to the top where it's all happened. He sits down. He puts his head between his knees, and he's just praying there. God, I know the promise is going to happen. I know that it's going to rain. You've promised that it will rain. I know it's going to happen. I can hear it. I can't see it yet, but it's going to happen. He says, servant, you go look. Tell me when you can see it. And he comes back, there's nothing. He goes back again, nothing. Seven times. And I wonder what this servant was thinking. Because if I was the servant, I would think, are you kidding me, Elijah? 
I've gone and looked, there ain't a cloud in the sky. And if you send me back one time or a hundred times, there's not gonna be a cloud in the sky. And sometimes I think that even as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, for some reason we think, ah, I don't know if he's really going to come. I've looked at the skies. I've heard my parents talk about it. I heard my grandparents and my great-grandparents talk about it, and I don't really know if he's ever going to come. It feels like we're stuck between two advents, between the first one that he came as a baby and the second one that we've longed for for so long that it doesn't even feel like reality. I think sometimes we think to ourselves, well, if it happens, it'll happen, but I don't know if I'm gonna keep looking for it. Maybe we'll just go home. Maybe we'll just focus on the busyness of life rather than focusing our eyes to the skies to wait for Jesus to come. I mean, it's in our name. We are Seventh-day Adventists. That's what we are. It's the core of who we are, a group of people, a movement that is is here on this planet to proclaim the three angels' message through the, the, the lens of prophecy that points people to the second coming that say, Jesus is coming soon. Get your heart ready because he's coming. It's in our heritage. From the very beginnings, the meager beginnings before we were even a church, a faithful group of people followed a man named William Miller as they found new light and new truth that pointed to a day where they thought Jesus was going to come and they were so excited they left the crops in the field. They said, Jesus is coming, let's get ready. And he didn't. And so they were disappointed and their gaze went from eyes to the skies to a droopy, disappointed view. And I wonder if that's what we look like now. See, I believe that God has given us the sense of sight, not just to see what's happening around us, but to peer down the history in front of us, to be looking eyes to the skies for the day when he will come. We have eyes to see, and as we look forward in time, it's a statement about our faith in a God that keeps his promises. In fact, the author of Hebrews, he puts it like this. Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. That's what faith is. You can't see it, so you have to believe. You have to have faith in something that you can't see yet. He says that's, that's the calling of Christians, is to believe in something that you cannot see, to trust that God is a God that keeps his promises. He always does. In fact, Ellen White, she writes as she describes Elijah's faith. Here's what she says in the book Prophets and Kings. She says this, Elijah knew that heaven would freely bestow the blessings foretold, the rain. The same God who had sent the drought had promised an abundance of rain as the reward of right doing. And now Elijah waited for the promised outpouring. In an attitude of humility, his face between his knees, he interceded with God in behalf of penitent Israel. The prophet did not become impatient or lose faith, but continued his earnest pleading. See, Elijah was never going to give up. Not a chance. He knew the promises of God, and he wouldn't stop looking. He wouldn't stop praying. He wouldn't stop working and serving and preaching and pleading and and working for those to see that little cloud. His faith never wavered. He knew the promises of God, and he knew the God that always keeps his promises. Elijah would have kept sending his his servant back all day long. You go check again. You go look at the skies again. Keep going. You go back, you look again. Go check again. And the same God that keeps his promises with Elijah, he keeps his promises for you and me too. In fact, he's given us the promise. John chapter, uh, what is it? John chapter 14. He said, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again 
You can count on it. And I believe it. Elijah and his servant sure wouldn't stop searching the sky, and they, they finally did see something. Here's what it is. Verse 43, 44. Here's what it says. The seventh time, the servant reported back, and he said, a cloud. I said, I can see a cloud as small as a man's hand, and it's rising from the sea. See, Elijah didn't have to see the cloud to know that the rain was coming. He didn't have to feel the pitter-pat of the rain droplets on his skin to know that the rain was coming. He knew God and the promises and a God that always keeps his promises. He knew it was coming. And I can imagine what happens on the top of Mount Carmel as they see that little cloud, as the servant reports back and says, hey, Elijah, I saw it. There's a little cloud. I mean, the the two guys had to be rejoicing, hugging, high-fiving. I mean, I kind of imagine it like this. I imagine it like Tiger Woods on Sunday afternoon. It's the 18th hole of the Masters. And he's there, he's wearing black pants and a red shirt. He's got his Titleist putter. He's on the green there. He's just hit a beautiful shot. He's about 15 foot putt, a little bit of a curve in it. And he, everyone's quiet and he hits that putt. And before it even touches the bottom of the cup, Tiger is fist bumping and hugging his caddy, Steve Williams. Can you see it with me? That's Elijah and his servant. They're saying, that's the God that I know. He always keeps his promises. He's coming soon. I want to have faith like Elijah. I want to believe that Jesus is coming soon. Eyes to the skies, always. You know, many, many years ago, probably eight years ago, maybe a little less, my oldest son, Caffrey, he, he just turned nine on Thursday. <laughs> this guy right here. <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he's always been observant. Ever since he was just a little baby, just crawling around on the carpet in our house. He'd, he'd find little specks of stuff and he'd look at them, bugs, dirt, you know. He'd be outside trying to taste whatever's on the ground. Oh man, what a guy. He's always been observant. And at some point in his toddler years, he realized that there's a world of things above him too. I remember the day he, he figured out ceiling fans. He's just laying there looking up, look at this thing, guys. Have you, mom and dad, look at this. He couldn't even talk yet. And uh, he, he started noticing everything. We'd go on walks, and he'd be in the, in the stroller, and we'd be going along with our dog, Magley, and uh, we'd be walking along, and we'd see trees. And he would, he would point over there like, look at this. He'd see birds, and he would see every single airplane in the sky. In fact, he would point to them, and Jen and I would be looking like, what is he pointing at? And he would see it. He was just looking because he was always eyes to the skies. One of his favorite things to do was to sit in his swing. You know those blue little tyke swings? Pastor Jeremy's got to get one of those if he doesn't have one already for, for his son Zion. And he, we'd put him in there and we'd push him for hours. You know, as parents, you know how it is. Your arms get tired. You want to sit down and tie a rope to the swing and kind of... <laughs> this is what Caffrey looks like, looked like in his swing. That's my boy. Eyes to the skies. Where's that airplane? When's Jesus coming back? Eyes to the skies. Always eyes to the skies. And just like Caffrey and just like Elijah, I want my eyes plastered on the sky to see the King of Kings coming for us. And that day is going to be beautiful, y'all. 
Ellen White describes what it'll look like in the great controversy, page 640. Here's what she says. She says, soon, and I believe it, there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of a man's hand. It's the cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man, and in solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth, becoming lighter and more glorious until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant, and Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror. Hmm. I can't wait for that day. Until that day comes, let's keep our eyes on the skies. He came once as a baby in a manger. He's coming again soon as a king and a conqueror. He's coming soon.